And welcome once again to EWTN's Bookmark. Our special guest author, Carrie Gress, the author of End of Woman, How Smashing the Patriarchy Has Destroyed Us, published by Regnery Press, available naturally through the EWTN Religious Catalog. EWTNRC.com for all things Catholic. Oh, it's great to see you again. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. So this is the end of woman, not the end of women. Right. What's the difference right. and why is it woman? Well, I think partially because I, what we're talking about with what we've seen with feminism is it's kind of this effort to destroy the archetype of womanhood. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not a, a matter of killing off individual women, but at the idea of, of woman itself. So that's why we went with woman and kind of, of defining what a woman is right, right. which we're which exactly. is a hot topic very now, big mm -hmm. in the beginning you have a quote from Jordan Peterson what mm -hmm. you must what you most want to find will be found where you least want to look mm -hmm. why did you put that quote in there? Uh, well partially because I think that so many women have really bought deeply into feminism and mm -hmm. I think that feminism is is probably not the answer for most of us. In fact, I can say that pretty emphatically, emphatically now, having written this book. Um, but where women really will find what will fulfill them mm -hmm. and will bring them happiness is being a wife and mother, and those are the things that we've been told we need to shun by the feminist movement. So it was really just the idea of getting behind, you know, getting people to think like maybe I should start looking in other places um, right. for what that which is, will really fulfill me. Right. Hester Vaughn is, is, is uh, Hester Vaughn. Who's she? Mm -hmm. So Hester Vaughn was this woman who she was an English woman that she came to the United States, and um, she was lured here by a man that said he was going to marry her, and so she shows up mm -hmm. and um, he's already married, and she gets a job as a scullery maid or something. Mm -hmm. She ends up being raped by her boss and becomes pregnant and is thrown out. Anyway, she delivers her child in the middle of a blizzard in New York City in this like attic with no windows. And the baby dies and um, actually when she was found, the baby was frozen to the floorboards of mm -hmm. the, um, the attic. And um, she was then charged with infanticide. Mm -hmm. So I really told her story at the very beginning of the book because that was important for us to be, be mindful of just how incredibly difficult women's lives have been and right. could be and still can be. Um, but I think that, you know, just that right. kind of urgency. And how urgency. vulnerable, yes, you make that absolutely. point, they were. Yeah, absolutely And that vulnerable. many of the strives for the women's, quote unquote, women's movement, women to, mm -hmm. for equality and these kinds of protections were perfectly mm -hmm. justifiable. Yeah, no, exactly. So right. that's is what was driving people. You also talk about the fact that in that vulnerability that in, in looking at this, they view motherhood making people women vulnerable, mm -hmm. which which it does in some ways because of that. Sure. You say feminists have embarked upon a, a two-fold approach. The first step is to help women become more like men, independent and unconstrained by nature. The second is to end the patriarchy. Mm -hmm. Okay, what is a patriarchy? <laughs> All right, so the patriarchy is really just this old biblical idea of using the gifts that men have, but also recognizing an authority that, that men have, partially because of those gifts, but because this is the way God has instilled it. But mm -hmm. what feminism has done is really tr turn this on its head, and actually the first usage of it in a negative way came from Engels, um, of all of people. Of all people, right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, so th the, the idea of getting rid of the patriarchy started before that without using the language, but how do we collapse society down into something more egalitarian and this is of course you know fruits of the French Revolution and whatnot so right. um, that was really the goal and I think that's one of the you know we hear this all the time now right. the smash the patriarchy in so many different ways 
um, in our own day, but it's, it's kind of it's like a bogeyman that, that, yeah. that's used, right? Yeah. Okay. And they and even you have Kate Millett here. You know the mm -hmm. domination, oppression, the most pervasive ideology of our time: interior mm -hmm. colonization, theoretical imperialism. Uh, and then you make the point. You say, "Well, what happens when the patriarchy disappears? Yeah. Has it disappeared? Is that what we're experiencing, or yeah. what?" Well, I think what we're experiencing is sort of this strange schizophrenia where. Feminists want to be like men because we've, we've, again, feminism asks the question, how do we make women like men, not how do we help women as women within this Which context is a strange of vulnerability. question. Yeah. Why isn't yeah. it right. the one about how do we make women better women or women be able to succeed rather yeah. than becoming like men? Well, I think that's a great question. Part of the answer is because we've really idolized the masculine because if it's powerful, it wins, uh, you so know, it's about earns power money. In a lot of it's ways, absolutely right. about power and control. Right. Um, it's also, uh, you know, free love is very much a part of the whole movement and it's that desire to um, buy the feminist movement to let women be behave sexually the way that men have seemingly. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that that's another layer of it. So. Yeah, it's this weird schizophrenia, though, where we, women want to be like men, and but at the same time, they're telling men to become like women, right. um, and creating all of this incredible tension, you know, for everybody, really. Right, where everybody's trying to figure out what roles, <laughs> what, are they, what am right. I supposed to be doing, how am exactly. I supposed to be acting? Right. You talk about the, the people behind feminism, the idea mm -hmm. of tragic and difficult lives many times when you look into it, yeah. especially with often tortured relationships with men. Mm -hmm. So out of that, you would assume that that is impacted their perspective mm -hmm. as it relates to the relationship between men and women in general. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, the, the whole first section of this book is called The Lost Girls. Okay. And to almost to a one, uh, these women have had some kind of um, abuse. They've had terrible parents. They had awful relationships with men. Um, it's those kinds of things that I, I think really mm -hmm. can skew our vision. We know this, this happens um, in our brokenness. It's very hard to see things clearly. And so they, they are solution has been not how do we repair these relationships and help women again, but how do we change? How mm -hmm. do we um, break down these taboos that they, they think are causing the problem instead of being a solution to it? So it's always a, a move to you know liberalize things instead of a move to see that maybe the Ten Commandments and things like right. that could be helpful. Well, as you point out, in the 70s, women rated their overall life satisfaction higher than men did, but now on top of everything, mm -hmm. women are not happy. Yeah, no, and that's, I think, a real motivation to, to pay attention to this, um, this kind of data. I know that's what's driven me, is that we're not seeing happier women. You know, you would think that if feminism was actually doing something good, that women's, you know, happiness metrics would show that. But all the metrics show that women are, you know, through depression, suicide More medicated, rate, substance, you say. Yeah, they're right. taking a lot more medications and not seeing a lot of um, other rewards and, and balances. Did, did you come up with the bureaugamy? I did not. Yeah, I did not. <laughs> I never not. heard of that expression, yeah. but it no. makes perfect sense. Yeah. And you even go back to the old Obama administration, Julia image. Yeah, remember Julia? The, the replacement yeah. of basically the husband by the state. Yeah, yeah. So that's the idea is that poor women are by and large married to the state instead of to men. And that, that's, you know, marriage has become kind of a status symbol for them because it's something just totally unachievable based on how the direct how and the direction in which the culture has been going. Right, and of course you talk, it's time for honest women to recognize that feminism has not been the boon for women that, that it has been presented, though it presented many advances, as we alluded mm -hmm. to earlier. Women were told that abortion is consequence free, that hookup culture, casual sex are normal, and that hormonal therapies for birth control or puberty blockers have no side effects. Mm -hmm. You go on to say feminism has likewise been awful for men. 
Mm -hmm. But it has been particularly awful for children, especially children of unmarried parents. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I think that, that, you know, the problem is we know that families and we know children do best when mm -hmm. there's mother and father. Um, and this is clearly not happening. You also have, you know, these horrible statistics about um, live-in boyfriends and things like that in terms of the sexual abuse. Yeah, well, layers. so many times when you hear about abuse in families, it turns right. out it's it's not a related. Right. It's a stepfather or, exactly. a, or a live-in boyfriend or something yep. like that exactly. going on. Right. Mm -hmm. You say this book is not about arguing that we should go back to, uh, you know, the 1780s, the 1880s, mm -hmm. even the 1950s. Then what are you arguing mm -hmm. for? Well, I think that what I'm arguing for is to get beyond, to, to reject feminism itself as an ideology. And I don't think that we have to go back to those places. I mean, this is one of the, the, the cudgels that, uh, you know, invariably we're mm -hmm. told we can't be, be anything other than feminist because we would be going back to something oppressive or awful. Um, but I think society and, and culture have, have changed significantly, and it would be incredibly hard to go back right. to those things. So I think we ha what we have to do is look at who we are using human nature, but also and move forward within right. that by rejecting what feminism is, is presenting to us as normal and healthy and happy making. I thought this was, you, you said I didn't know what I was going to find when I started researching mm -hmm. things, and I thought this was an interesting, you said I thought feminism had been co-opted at some point. But what you really found is it's it's been this way ultimately from its early beginnings. Almost from the very beginning, yeah, exactly. And that was shocking to me. Right. I mean, I, I think over and over again we hear, especially among conservatives, that it, there there really was this major break in the 1960s, and the Marxists took it over. And yes, all that's true. But it, it there were serious problems from the very beginning. Right. You say feminism's failure at root is its mi misdiagnosis of what ails women. Mm -hmm. What do they think the problem is? What do you think the mm -hmm. actual problem is? They think is? the problem is fertility in children mm -hmm. okay. and men. So okay. anything that, that pulls away from this notion of an independent woman mm -hmm. is the problem in their, their vision. And um, I think, uh, obviously, that, that's not the problem. I think the problem is striving towards that ideal of independent womanhood, which we know right. is, is really a myth. Now you say the focus book is divided into four parts. You kind of uh, mentioned the first part. You know, part one explores the early development of feminism into its contemporary iteration. I mean, it goes mm -hmm. back to like 1780s or something yeah. you're talking about here, but yeah. way past what Very most of early. us would think of. Mm -hmm. Were you surprised yeah. it went back that far? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I had no idea that that the the earliest seeds were there, and then of course. Uh, you know, as I get into later in the book, this just the connection with Mary Wollstonecraft and then mm -hmm. her son-in-law, whom she never met. Um, he married her, her daughter, that the daughter Mary Godwin Shelley mm -hmm. um, of Mary Wollstonecraft, who she's wrote Frank Frankenstein, of course. Right. Um, just the the what came out of that immediate family um, in terms of the the feminist movement and what kind of the seeds of it right. was was really fascinating. Out of the dysfunction me. of <laughs> the family and the relationships with, yeah. with her husband and then yeah. Lord Byron, in which you go into, yeah. etc. She, mm -hmm. it seems like they created their own Frankenstein in another way. Yeah, uh, yeah, I uh, think you're right. That we're dealing with, and in, in, in part two, you move on to the way feminism became identifying narrative for Western women. How did that mm -hmm. happen? Well, uh, much of it was because it, it um, sort of joined in arms with Marxism, and mm -hmm. um, you know, b part of it was the, the incredible 
manipulative work of um, Betty Friedan in her book, The Feminine Mystique, right. where she hid the fact that she was a communist. Right, that was interesting. That, yeah. That she had been involved with organizing and things oh, like for that. Years, she yeah. acted like she had no background at right. all. She just, just came to this on her own, right? Yeah, yeah right. exactly. And that's really where you see the, the kind of manipulation that she's using. She's using tactics like, uh, you know, this victim mentality of, you know, the women that are, are locked in their, what she calls the comfortable concentration camps. Um, so she's very powerful in, in, way, in reaching sort of the feminine mind and making women believe that they really were oppressed by these things right. that you know are, are largely part of the Marxist agenda. In part three explains how the women's movement led directly to gay rights and now mm -hmm. trans movements. Yeah. How did one lead to the other? Yeah. Well, the first part, step was really just to, to make men, you know, like the Marxists, that they were, the Marxists were initially were focused on class, mm -hmm. and the, the, those landowners were oppressing the proletariats, the poor. Right. So what feminism did was to shift that, and it made men the oppressors and women are the victims. Well, then you have the LGTV movement that sees that's great opportunity in, um, it was actually just the L and the B at that point, but, um, mm -hmm, right. um, or I'm sorry, the, the L and the G, mm -hmm. but um, they see this incredible opportunity of making themselves victims, and mm -hmm. so heterosexual people then become the oppressors right. or, and homophobic and whatnot. Yeah, so, a little bit copying the civil rights movement and stuff exactly. like that out it's of the it's 60s. Exactly, this exact same pattern. That's why and they so call they, it human rights. Everything was about right. human rights, right? Yep, exactly, so it was just piggybacking on all of that and using the exact same sort of categories that, of course, have led us to critical theory and right. critical race theory and right. what we're seeing in the woke culture now. Right, and in part four identifies the broader ramifications of feminism. You say the book examines several philosophical threads that compri comprise many of the ideologies discussed here. Mm -hmm. An ideology often starts with the idea of one philosopher and then becomes like a brand. Mm -hmm. uh, so is feminism an ideology now? Oh, I think it's been an ideology from almost the beginning. So, okay. no, absolutely. It was definitely a, a set of ideas that I think we can sort of pinpoint and see how they've right. been echoed or, or recycled over and over and over again, you know, from the 1790s up to even the Barbie movie. Um, it's a, it's a kind of the same pattern. Right. You also talk about, and one of the things that, that you discovered and you looked into in dealing with, you know, uh, Katie Stanton. Mm -hmm. and, and those people, the uh, uh, feminists of that time, mm -hmm. and the spiritualism connection that yeah. was there. Were you yeah. surprised by that? Oh, I was absolutely surprised by it. I had no idea that there was sort of this connection to the occult and to mediums and uh, seances and all of that um, with the Seneca Falls Convention. And right. then later on, in Elizabeth Cady Stanton's work, I mean, she's very clearly anti-Christian. She was raised a Calvinist and rejected her faith and then she's really what she was really trying to do was undermine Christianity mm -hmm. um, she's wrote this book called the the woman's Bible and um, you know and it is has all these ideas about how do we reread right. Genesis and this you know very occultish kind of like way. It, was, it was a book that was written historically to so men could dominate women basically kind of right so that's, she, she that's wants, what she was going against she said right. that's what the Bible was right so she rewrites it, of course and right. you know Eve is given an opportunity I mean here she's taking ideas again from Percy Shelley things that he had right. developed um, you know 60 50 years prior um, and and how do we see Eve is given this opportunity right. by Satan instead of it being somehow you know a temptation right and in her life you also her own struggle against parental authority now became a struggle to to please that authority she knew how mm -hmm. desperately he wanted a son mm -hmm. yeah so her father and that was her it, father's that was with her father and right? because her oldest brother had actually passed away and right. so there was this desire to see her sort of fill his shoes that you know she felt obligated to 
to do and to prove herself. And so she kept mm -hmm. rubbing up against things that were, were limiting that. And that was really, you know, source of right. one of the sources of her. her I see here among the spiritualist church, so-called, the Methodist writer noted that women are the high priests in the scriptural mm -hmm. teachings in regard to the relation of men and women, and their duties are reversed. Yeah, so, so it, fascinating. it kind of fit into that again, power. Mm -hmm power and we don't need priests or ministers. We don't need men um, when you've got the spiritualism because you, it's the women right. who are largely doing the, the seances and, and orchestrating everything and men are, are not necessary at all. Right, and the next thing you've got, Madame Blavatsky mm -hmm. and the theosophy. Mm -hmm. uh, the Bible, according to the Office, was not a designed text but a historic one that propped up men's oppression to women yeah. and that's where the women's Bible comes in as well. You say, yeah. like Shelley before, Stanton doesn't debunk the Christian myth of the fall, she creates a new counter myth. Yeah, exactly. So they had to go back to the very beginning and sort of rewrite things so that it could follow what they wanted, what they were presenting in the movement. Right. Why did you uh, relate Betty Friedan to the caveman lawyer <laughs> character from Saturday Night Live? Oh goodness, what was yeah. the connection? In Very your mind? obscure. Well, um, <laughs> you know, part of this book, I wanted it to be readable, and I wanted people to be able to see things in their real life that sort of applied to it instead of it being overly academic. But um, yeah, so there's this skit called Caveman Lawyer mm -hmm. back in I think it was in the '80s, mm -hmm. and um, he would show up in this suit and d explain how he had been thawed from you know this crevasse that he had been frozen in for you know, 100,000 right. years or something insane like that. Um, but he would be in a suit and he would be able to win every argument that he made in, in court. He was a trial lawyer um, because he, he, everybody loved his story and was found it so compelling and surely a caveman thawed from the you know, frost, frosty tundra would not tell a lie. Um, so I kind of likened that Betty Friedan to that because she's presenting herself as this sort of very innocent housewife that didn't really even think about, I didn't think about, you know, women's issues until the 1950s and of course right. there's so much evidence that she was clearly thinking about communist issues and we, you know, we can see that um, in in her work, it's, you know, very right. apparent, there's references to it in her, in the feminist And, and very Alinsky-like in, in, yeah. in the way she dealt with exactly. many of those things. Exactly. You say, main point here, and this is in the section on uh, Betty Friedan, mm -hmm. echoing Marx and Engels' model of motherhood was that women would only truly be free when they entered the paid workforce, mm -hmm. uh, which is also why in the Soviet Union they made abortion yeah. uh, legal. It yeah. wasn't to free women, it was free women up to stay to at work. work at the factory. Yeah. Yep. You say in 1975, the more strident Simone de Beauvoir, in an interview with Ferdinand, took this argument to a step further, said, no woman should be authorized to stay at home and raise her children. Society should be different. Women should not have that choice precisely because if there is such a choice, too many women will make that one. Yeah, too many will want to stay home. So now we've got to force people to do things they, they don't yeah. want to do for their good, I guess. Yeah, right? but right. this is again for Dan's genius because she found ways to make women want to do it because she made it attractive. She made it feel like, you know, she again, home is a com comfortable concentration camp and the workplace is really where you're free and you're making money and you're, you know, and. And the, all of the media went along with this at the mm -hmm. same time. I mean, television is sort of this new thing. You've got these very attractive women. They're all dressed beautifully. They're very articulate. Right. Um, and so this is, uh, I think it's fascinating to look at just all of these dynamics, how they work together to pre present this model and right. make the home Would well, you think place. also those people are living that lifestyle in a such a way and they need the justification for these things mm -hmm. because those other issues home, family, these kinds of things, mm -hmm. abortion, yeah. are, are things that impact them. And we've learning, I mean, a lot 
now from the glory days of Hollywood of how yeah. many you know famous female stars had abortions forced yep. upon them, including Marilyn Monroe multiple times. Yeah, uh, because yeah. you can't get pregnant. We, we can't allow that. Yep. You talk about Kate Millett and and kind of the, our own cultural revolution going on here mm -hmm. by destroying the American patriarchy. How do we destroy the American patriarchy by destroying the American family? Yeah. No, that was the key. I mean, it was just this, at the heart, really, of the movement for so long was that goal of how do we how do we get rid of the family? How do we break that taboo? How do we right. restructure society completely into you know our own imagining? And uh, Millette was very intelligent. Yeah. Oh, but, she's brilliant. But yeah. Uh, yeah. but she ended up. Uh, yeah. Well, she was also mentally a lot ill. Of issues, um, right? Yeah. yeah. Right. Her sister Mallory Millett has been doing a great job of right. t telling the the real story behind Kate Millett. But um, yeah, she she was mentally ill, and you know, a lar large portion of her work is really focused on this idea of mental illness and what do we do with them and whatnot. But um, yeah, she absolutely was driven and motivated by this breaking taboos and right. you know just destroying society on so you many different levels. say Millette offered the academic justification for feminism that became the backbone of women's studies mm. programs nationally. Yeah. <laughs> We're living with those now. Yep. That was featured on Time Magazine's cover. Millette was a huge advocate for abortion on demand. Mm. Uh, her vision of equality, in her view, having an abortion became something of a badge of honor yeah. long before women today made the same argument. Abortion was the primary way to equalize women in her mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and she made the, the the case that you know men. This was during the Vietnam War. Men were in Vietnam were shooting innocent people, so right. women had to be just as strong and kill their own children. Was was something that she actually argued for um, as a positive thing. But yet she saw right. again the fertility is the real issue. Children are the real um, problem that right. needs to be solved. You also, uh, I, I think, you find this in different people's stories. But in an effort to free themselves from men, Millette and others put lesbianism on mm. a high pedestal. And one of the main goals of many of the second wave feminists was to erase gender differences altogether. So that's what mm -hmm. we're seeing, right? Yeah, exactly. No, it all started then. It was one of their stated goals, and um, it just never ended. I mean, this right. is, and this is why we're seeing in the, the trans movement sort of this infighting with feminists because there's feminists who are like, wait a minute, I thought this was supposed to be about promoting women, mm -hmm. and the, the other feminists are saying, no, this is about whoever feels like a woman, kind of, you know. So right. there's. It's it's the ideology sort of battling itself because both are, are threads within the movement. Right, as she, you mentioned, she was in and out of uh, mental institutions. Mm -hmm. um, you say lost girls make more lost girls. Mm -hmm. What do you mean? Yeah, well, I think broken people break other people. I mean, we can see that in our lives, and this is the beauty of confession and um, you know what the church offers us. But you we we see this very clearly in the in the movement. You were just referring to you know Marilyn Monroe mm -hmm. and all the brokenness that happens there, but that is, those kinds of celebrities influence other celebrities and right. influence you know the regular woman on the street. And it just leads to just this ripple effect of the right. domino effect of thinking, you know, these th these awful things that are being promoted right. are in fact okay and will be, be helpful. Now was, was Gloria Steinem or is she a mean girl? Oh, I think she's a mean girl. Uh -huh. Yeah, I think Gloria sort of kicks off the mean girl movement in the, in, with respect to the fact that she's was so savvy and so skilled at being able to um, sway people right. and and make her own arguments, and she's still doing it. I mean, right. she's still yeah. busy, sitting on the Phil Donahue show, right? Yeah, remember? Or right. Oh, I, I remember. Right. Yeah, but yeah. I, yeah, she's uh, without abortion, women's future will be over. Women are much more risk averse than men, so tapping into the fear of bodily harm or vulnerability is highly effective. Yeah, 
Right. Make women independent. Yeah, Don't take my thing. rights away. I need these rights. I right. need these protections. I gotta protections. be like a man. Right. Don't make me vulnerable, which right. is a scary thing. And, and it's but it's amazing how affected it has right. been and how the left has used it so well. Right. Uh, uh, she was another person who had some interesting relationships with her father, as I recall. Yeah. Steinem. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. And her mother, who was mentally ill, right. also a theosophist. She had been a right. practicing theosophist. Right. Well, you um, mentioned Wiccan and stuff, and yeah. that and that kind of new agey stuff mm -hmm. in there as well. Yep. You, and this uh, having to do with abortion, a feminist activist in Mexico just confessed that we inflated the figures of a number of women who were dying from botched abortions mm -hmm. in order to decriminalize it. Uh, we said it was 100,000 when that was the total who had died, period. Yeah, yeah. No, that number, I mean, we know, remember Bernard Nathanson right, right. and the confessed to doing the same up. thing, exactly. Well, they do it today where they yeah. come up numbers and statistics and there's no background except somebody goes back and finds out somebody made it up one day. Yeah, yeah. You know, you talk about the tribe. The success mm -hmm. of feminism can be seen in a women's general fear of appearing to be out of step mm -hmm. with other mm -hmm. women. Yeah. Is there a lot of social pressure? Oh, absolutely. Like that? Yeah, no, I think absolutely. Um, you can see, I mean, this is what's behind the, the idea of all the, the young girls that are transitioning. You know, back in the day, there was, it was anorexia. You know, there's sort of, we can see these patterns where young girls sort of feel like, oh, this is what the cool girls are doing. And, it, you know, previously, girls, you know, it's like going, all the girls are going to the bathroom at the same time. You know, it's just sort right. of these patterns of how we operate and relate to one another. And so you can see that feminism has that, has used to its advantage that kind of pull and that kind of sense of we have to be like other women. I mean, a little fashion is another. A little bit of a another, group think. Yeah, I mean, being independently at, part of, but part of the group. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think fashion is probably the best right. example of that in terms yeah, of and, and what we're just, wearing. Just and before we end, in a section, uh, chapter eight, patriarchy smashing. Today, the mantra has changed slightly. Not only are we as good as men, we are in fact better at being men than they are. Mm -hmm. So many commercials and ads directed at women confirm this. Poor men, they wouldn't be able to do anything with, without us. Clean up a mess, make a meal, purchase a new car. Now, if the guy's gay, he oh, might be okay. Yeah. But, but if he's normal or somehow <laughs> comes across a Christian, he's probably really an ax murderer. Probably. Uh, probably. At least in the story. Yeah. Yeah. We saw that Gloria Steinem and others zeroed on, on women's emotions and heartstrings, often short-circuiting reason or logic. They play on, on, on women's natural empathy, right? Oh, absolutely. Empathy and, um, you know, the Barbie movie I think is a great example because there's some tender moments in that Barbie movie. So mm -hmm. that, that's how they get us to be engaged in something, mm -hmm. but kind of working around this, the, our reason through those. Right. And there's the so much more. You've got Margaret Sanger, other things They're in here. We there. just don't have time. Yeah. There's a lot of information yeah. in this book. How long did it take you to write it? Um, from start to finish, probably about four or five months. Mm -hmm. I kind of had some of it in mind already, but mm -hmm. um, yeah, it was a when pretty quick turnout. When you write, you, you, you've got oh, we just squeeze like five in. I have, kids, an, I have an amazing husband. He had a, actually took over dinner for me um, uh -huh. while I was writing it, and um, I don't think I've taken it back yet. Right. But uh, in any event, we um, yeah. Squeeze Do you have another in. book in the works? Or? I don't. No? I uh, yeah, just busy okay. with this one, and um, we'll see. But I'm kind of booked out for a while. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's My a pleasure, pleasure having you, you here. The End of Woman, How Smashing the Patriarchy Has Destroyed Us by Carrie Gress. Highly recommended. Check it out through our EWTN religious catalog, EWTNRC.com. I'm Doug Keck. Join us next time right here on Bookmark. Thanks.